0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the Masters. I'd like to get started again with another question from the audience or from our listeners. And that question is, what did Hitchcock think about violence in cinema? That's a really common question that that we hear a lot today. Um, uh, Some of you may have seen the interview of Quentin Tarantino when he was asked about his thoughts on that and he went off on the poor journalist um, saying, no, I've already said what I need to say about that. I'm shutting you down. But what did Hitchcock think about that? Especially in an era where there were codes about what could be shown and what couldn't be shown. Um, Based on my readings, Hitchcock came to a very similar conclusion that I think a lot of filmmakers do, which is What I put on the screen is fake. It's the real violence that we need to be concerned about. Uh, Hitch also did not feel that cinema influenced people in any way. Um, Did not motivate people to actually go out and commit acts. There was only one incident where, where something that he put in a movie actually, as far as we can tell, might have been the real inspiration for a violent act. Um, In the film Foreign Correspondent, there's an assassination early on, and there was a real assassination that was very similar to the one that Hitch had put on the screen only a few years earlier. And he felt that that was very tragic, and he regretted putting that in the movie. Um, But at the end of the day, he, he was very comfortable with the violence that he showed on the screen. Uh, so that's our question for today. Uh, keep sending your questions in. I'm more than willing and ready to try to answer them as best I can. Today we're going to move forward into Hitch's career. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a movie called Shadow of a Doubt. Some of you may have heard of this film. Some of you may not have. Um, Shadow, of a Doubt, uh, Shadow of a Doubt is a young story about a woman named Charlie, which is short for Charlotte. Um, She is named after her uncle, Charlie, who becomes a major character in this film. But our our heroine, Charlie, um, this is going to be confusing. I'm going to have to distinguish. When I say Charlie, I'm talking about our hero. When I'm talking about Uncle Charlie, I'm talking about the villain. Um, So Charlie, whose life becomes a living hell when her favorite uncle, Charlie, for whom she's named after, um, comes to live with her family as she begins to suspect him to be a murderer. This is often referred to by Hitch as the favorite of his films. Um, And one of the biggest reasons for that was because he liked the idea of bringing menace to a small town. And that's an idea that we've seen replicated in a lot of uh, films and by other filmmakers. David Lynch is notorious for this idea of bringing evil or strangeness or bizarre antagonism to small communities. Um, Everything from Twin Peaks to... uh, blue velvet, etc. Um, you know, even uh, even Jaws is very similar to that. You have a, you have a small fishing community that is largely based on tourism during the summer for their wonderful beaches. and uh, a shark comes in and ruins their summer. But that was something that Hitch really liked, and that was one of the reasons that he was drawn to this story in the first place. He really pulls that off in a great way because he, he very intentionally said it in a town that represented, Small town, USA. Uh, it, it was in California, but it could have been in the Midwest. It could have been on the East Coast. It could have been anywhere, really. Um, that town was Santa Rosa. Um, it's a very different town now. I was I was actually recently up there, but it, it at the time it was a small town in, in um, Sonoma County, which uh, is known for its wine. Um, Hitch and the and and his writer uh, spent. A lot of time up there, doing the research, trying to understand the community, the pace of life, and all those things to really encapsulate it in the film. And then once the writing was, you know, once all that research was done and the script was finalized, the movie was cast and they were ready to go. Then they shot a lot of it on location. Some of it had to be reshot and redone in the studio, was processed or whatever. But a lot of it was shot on location in that town of Santa Rosa. Um, but it's that shooting that I really want to talk about, specifically the visual storytelling again. I know we've talked a lot about this, but there are three very distinct techniques in this film that I want that I want us to talk about because I think we can learn from them. Um, and they're repeated so often, and whether Hitch or one of the people on the set who secondhand tells the story of Hitch's thinking... Um, or it was an interviewer who brought it up in an interview and says, well, I noticed you did this. And then Hitch would be able to elaborate. Um, it becomes quite clear that all of this was not only very intentional, uh, but ended up being part of the reason why the storytelling is so, so effective. So that first major visual motif, that's what these are going to be. These are visual motifs. That's what I call them. They're patterns that are repeated throughout the film. Uh, is this idea of symmetry. And the reason that's chosen is because there is kind of this parallelism between the two Charlies, right? There's Charlie, our heroine, and Uncle Charlie, the villain. And it's set up from the minute we see them. This idea of symmetry and parallelism and and, and those kinds of ideas. Um, In fact, to give you an idea of this, uh, Teresa Wright, who played Charlie, tells a story about Hitch directing her um, and telling her exactly how she was to lay in a bed. And this is the first scene that we see her in. We see her laying reclined on her bed as her father comes through, comes comes to the door, which is um, parallel to her. So he stands facing the camera, which is shooting across Teresa Wright's face back toward the doorway, if that makes sense. I'm trying to... I'm trying to set this up as, basically the camera is shooting perpendicular to, to Teresa Wright, to Charlie, toward the doorway. So the camera and the doorway are facing each other and then she lays across the frame. And she says that Hitch told her exactly how to lay there because they were going to then mirror that scene with Uncle Charlie on the East Coast. And that's exactly what they did. They flip the framing when his landlady comes in and he's there reclining on the bed in a very similar fashion. And it's it's those parallelisms and mirrorings that are uh, incredibly common in this film and crop up all the time uh, if you're looking for them. Now the second major visual motif that I want to talk about is this idea of, of staging intimate scenes on the far ends of the frame. So one of the things that that you would learn in almost any class that teaches you how to frame a shot for visual storytelling would tell you that that if you want to communicate to two characters who are close in their relationship you bring them together in the frame but hitch does the exact opposite there's at least three different very intimate scenes between two characters where the characters are on the opposite edges of the frame which normally would communicate distance but being that they're intimate scenes what they actually communicate is almost a holding back of these characters they're not giving each other all that they are in that moment and the reason i know that that's what they were going for is because uh, teresa wright told another story there's a scene between her and her love interest uh, as they talk in a garage, and it was a very typical boy-meets-girl kind of a scene. And she didn't really like it, and, and she thought that maybe it could be rewritten, and she went to uh, Patricia Culling, who played her mother in the film, who was also a writer. And Pat, as she was colloquially known, once, her friends, rewrote the scene and presented it to Hitch and said, well, what do you think about this? Could we do this instead? And Hitch loved it, and that's how they shot. And, and, and so they they took that that new script for that scene, and that's how they filmed it, and then they intentionally staged it so that they were on opposite sides of the frame. At the far ends of this garage, the whole scene pretty much. And that was to communicate this sort of relational distance between them where they weren't, they weren't committing to each other yet. And you see that again and again and again in this film. And then the last visual motif that I want to get to is putting darkness at the top of the frame. This is something that I was taught in, in film school, where if you put something dark at the top of the frame, it gives the frame a sort of a heaviness and almost kind of a foreboding sense of, of danger or impending doom, and this is seen throughout Shadow of a Doubt. Now, I can't guarantee that that's something that Hitch was going for, but it does come up enough that you have to wonder. What I do know is that there's this infamous shot from the film that Hitch talked about extensively. Almost any time the movie got brought up, Hitch brought this up. It's when Uncle Charlie's first arriving uh, by train to Santa Rosa. Um, he had black smoke pouring out of the out of the train engine. And that was intentional. What wasn't intentional was the way the wind cut the smoke and the way the sun was positioned to cast shadows over the area. And so you end up with this black really rich deep black smoke at the top of the frame and casting shadows over the town as the train pours into the town, bringing this evil that we know is on the way, but the characters aren't really aware of yet. And that was something that he said was a happy accident, but of course was, was very welcome. Now, I'm kind of flying through this episode a little bit. Um, uh, this is an excellent film, and I do think everyone should watch it. It's one of my favorites, and it was one of Hitch's favorites as well, at least of his own films. Um, but there's one other thing that I want to get to before we close close today's episode, and this goes back to casting. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that casting is everything. If you cast the right person for the part, you can't go wrong. Well, Hitch, Hitch of course, felt that. Hitch, as far as I've read, felt that way. Um, but he especially felt that way about villains. Anyone who was supposed to play what back in the day was called a heavy needed to be a certain kind of person. And this is what Hitch felt. Hitch Hitch thought that all villains needed to be attractive and very likable. And his reasoning for that was, if they're not that, how in the world could they possibly get anywhere near their victims? Especially um, Uncle Charlie in this film. If you, if you watch the film, I'm not going to give everything away because I want you to see it. Um... If you look at the kinds of murders that that Uncle Charlie is committing in this film, then you will absolutely understand why he needed to be charming, debonair, uh, very smooth, uh, very, very likable. And that that's one example of Hitch thinking outside the box. Hitch, Hitch really tried to cast actors against type. He tried to find actors... Weren't necessarily known for playing certain kinds of roles and put them in per- in 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 those in in in, in those untyp- or atypical kinds of roles. Um, you know, I mean, we've we, we've talked about Hitch thinking outside the box in terms of cinematography and shot selection. You know, we talked about it just earlier today. This idea of these kind of intimate scenes being staged on the far edges of the frame, um, but this is another way in, in which Hitch thought outside the box and I think is something that we all can, can learn from to some extent um, doing the obvious is not necessarily right in fact you're more likely to stumble into a cliche um, and getting out of those cliches is something that um, I'm actually really looking forward to us discussing uh, when we get to a certain film there's one film in mind that I n- n- there's, there's one film that I have in mind Uh, for that because it it encapsulates that idea so well. Um, So in this film, Hitch casts an actor by the name of Joseph Cotton, and Joseph Cotton was a very dear friend of of Hitch and his family. Um, If you've seen the movie Citizen Kane, you've seen Joseph Cotton. Joseph Cotton was uh, Orson Welles' um, quote, friend, you could say that Kane had any friends in that movie but anyway that's that's another point so yeah what, and this is kind of a short episode and I'm a little sorry for that um, I'm, I'm taking a different approach to this and I'm not sure how well it's working we'll find out it's one of the reasons that I need you guys to give me feedback um, if you guys can let me know how this is going if there's certain things that you'd like me to include um, if you don't like the way I'm doing things um, or if you love them, all feedback is great. So if you guys could leave me some kind of rating or review wherever you listen to this—if it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, not Spotify, I'm sorry, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, whatever it is—and um, then also uh, if you don't want to leave a public one, but wanna but want to give me some maybe some feedback or or ask me a question, you can. You can email me at HitchcockUniversity at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook. There's a page there, uh, just Hitchcock University. Uh, We're on Twitter, Hitchcock underscore the letter U. So Hitchcock underscore U and Hitch underscore U on Instagram, which uh, still has nothing on it. I apologize for that. I should probably quit telling people that I'm on there. Um... (laughs) So, yeah, uh, leave us a rating and review. Let us know uh, how this is working for you. Um, I would love to try to get some opinions and maybe see if the format or something of the show could be adjusted. Uh, In the meantime, thanks for listening, and I will catch you in two weeks when we will talk about Hitchcock again, and you will learn filmmaking from the masters. Thanks.